Hello, and welcome to this podcast from the Oxford Institute for Energy Studies. Hello, and welcome to this latest in the OIS podcast series. This podcast is being brought to you by the GAS programme. My name's James Henderson. I'm a Distinguished Research Fellow at the Oxford Institute for Energy Studies. And with me today, I have three of my colleagues, Mike Fullwood, Anouk Honoré, and Jack Sharples, and they were co-authors of a comment with Bill Farron-Price, the head of the gas program, on the European gas market supply and demand, the outlook for this coming winter, 2023-24. And we're going to talk about some of the analysis that went into that and some of the conclusions they reached. So Mike, Jack, Anouk, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jim. Hello. Thanks, Jim. Grand. Mike, let me come to you first then. Let's start with prices. You've been using the word benign a lot this year. How, How is the market looking at the moment? Benign or otherwise? Yeah, I think from the so the, the summer period when the prices was TTF or Asian prices were sort of hovering around the ten dollar level, sort of nine ten dollars, then the sort of the the threat of strikes in Australia kind of spooked the market a little bit, and we saw prices edge back up above ten dollars, eleven twelve dollars, and they then both markets sort of stayed there until the uh, you know, the the incidents on October seventh, the the in Israel. By Hamas and then the in Gaza, kind of spooked the market. So the market shot up sort of a couple of dollars, ostensibly on the fact that whether that would affect Egypt LNG, but but it, it didn't really have any impact on that. The market kind of stayed there until sort of a couple of weeks ago, when the TTF market started to come back down again. So now the TTF market's dropped in two weeks, about two dollars fifty, which is almost twenty percent of its sort of value. But it's it's now decoupled a little bit from the Asian markets where prices have stayed up, um, and part of that I think is to do with the issues around the Panama Canal, which means it's taking a lot longer now for cargoes to get, let's say, from the US to Asia. It's not done as many can go through the Panama Canal, so we have seen some sort of decoupling of the European Asian markets. So now it is, despite the longer distances, more profitable to send cargoes to to the Asian markets. But on top of that, I mean, demand, as, as we'll talk about, has been, been quite weak. We've not yet seen the cold, really cold weather. It's been quite weak, both in Europe and the Asian markets. So the European market's come back down a bit. Asia's stayed up because of the potential supply constraints around the Panama Canal. And here we are on the, uh, on the Friday, the 8th of December. Uh, g- give me some actual prices for today, if you wouldn't mind. Prices at TTF in, in dollars a million BTU. That's just over $12. It's twelve fifty last night. The, the Asian LNG price is just a touch under 15. So that's kind of come down a little bit, maybe 50, 60 cents in the last couple of days. But there's a, you know, there is a sort of two and a half dollar gap between European and Asian prices now. Whereas, uh, you know, sort of two weeks ago, there was virtually no gap at all. Good. Well, we'll come back to you later on in the podcast and certainly at the end for some conclusions. But Jack, let me come to you now and talk a little bit about, start to talk about the European market. And let's talk about supply. So what is the state of pipeline imports at the moment? We've, we've had a fairly stable year. We've had some outages in Norway. How, let's start with Norway. How, how is that going now? Are supplies back to uh, where they were last winter? And is there any risk of them being, going down again? To put a number on it, we estimate that the capacity of the Norwegian system to produce, process and export pipeline gas is just over 350 million cubic metres per day. And that's actually pretty much the level that we're at now. So you've just mentioned, you know, Norway was very heavily impacted by by maintenance, 
by outages that lasted longer than intended over the summer months. And, and we saw in the first 11 months of this year, total Norwegian pipeline supply to Europe is down about 10 BCM year on year. And that was all as a result of this summer uh, sort of maintenance and outages. We're now back to a, a real proper winter level. In terms of the rest of this winter, a very strong winter for the Norwegians would see an average of about 345 million cubic meters a day because they never sustain at their absolute maximum capacity. But I would say that a, a more normal winter would be somewhere in the region of 335 million cubic meters a day. And that's what we've put in our sort of baseline assumption for our winter scenario. And I guess no real sense that there's going to be kind of more maintenance or outages this winter. I mean, we're, do- we're done with that now. And, and unless something goes wrong, essentially, it's looking pretty stable. Yeah, that would seem to be the case. Gasco do sort of publish their their maintenance schedules on their urgent market messages, and there's there's no sign of anything major now over the winter. They they got it all done in the summer, so it would really take something unexpected to bring Norwegian pipeline supplies down over the winter period. And what about other pipeline? I mean, not let's talk. We'll come to Russia in a second, and let's talk about other pipeline supplies. What about North Africa? What about Azerbaijan? Are things pretty stable there, or any any sign of movement? So if you talk about annual figures, if you talk about monthly averages, the, the picture is incredibly stable. For Azeri pipeline supply into Southeast Europe, you're looking at the, the Trans-Adriatic pipeline operating at basically its full capacity. So the full capacity is about 34 million cubic meters a day, and flows have been between 30 and 34 million cubic meters per day. We expect that to continue through the winter, no reason why why it wouldn't. For North Africa, the majority of that obviously is from Algeria, and then just a very small amount sort of five, six, seven million cubic meters per day from Libya. The majority of that is going to Italy, you know, with a a smaller amount going to Spain uh, from Algeria. Again, on a month to month basis, the picture is incredibly stable. The average for the last 12 months is just over 90 million cubic meters per day. That figure is also the average for last winter and the winter before. It's also the figure for every monthly average since July. What we do see is a lot of volatility on a day to day basis. But that's presumably those that hold long-term contracts, sort of optimizing their their portfolios, taking the Algerian sort of hybrid or you know oil index contracts and pairing them off against the Italian hub. But with that in mind, I think there's no reason to uh, to suspect anything other than on a monthly average basis, flows continuing at that at that level. So again, it's all looking pretty stable, just with some volatility maybe on a day-to-day basis. Okay, and then finally, let's turn to Russia. I mean, I guess this, this, the interesting story around Russia has been, obviously, we've seen the dramatic fall, but, you know, for, I guess, probably at least the last six months, it's been pretty stable with flow through Turk Stream in Ukraine, and almost surprisingly stable, given the, the what's going on in Ukraine. How do we see that for this winter? Continuing stability? I mean, we obviously, we've got the Ukraine contract on the horizon, the end of 24, but over the winter, any anticipation that anything could go wrong? No, not really. And that's that, you know, I wouldn't wish to curse it at this stage. But having said that, obviously, Gazprom has stepped away from the European spot market. So everything that they're delivering now is the volumes are being driven by offtake nominations by Gazprom's European counterparties, those that hold long term uh, contracts. And the daily volumes that we're seeing are very much in line with the sort of the day rate equivalent of the, uh, the annual volumes in the contracts that we think are still active. That is those that weren't suspended due to the demand to pay in rubles or impacted by the closure of Nord Stream or any of those issues. We think there's about 25 BCMA of contracts uh, still in play. If you take that as a flat daily rate, you're looking at just under 70 million cubic meters per day. In the first half of the year, 
the Russian daily flows are a bit lower than that. And now as we get later into the year, they're a bit above that. So we've seen flows of about 75 to 80 million cubic meters per day for the last several months. And in our baseline scenario, we have 75 million cubic meters per day expected from Russia. But I think there's there's a little bit of upside up to 80, maybe 85 million cubic meters per day. But that's probably about the limit to the upside. So it's very much like Norway in the sense that we've we've been a little bit conservative with our baseline scenario, but the amount of upside is really limited. So I would say maybe 10 million cubic meters a day of upside from Russia, 10 million cubic meters a day of upside from Norway relative to our scenario, and not really very much at all uh, from North Africa or Azerbaijan. Okay, and then we've got the final big chunk, which has become the, the most important chunk, which is the LNG send out. How's that been looking? Over the summer months, it declined. It was a bit lower year on year, simply by the fact that this year storage filled to a greater share of capacity than it did over summer 2022. So in the late summer months, we saw LNG send out just below 300 million cubic meters per day. As soon as the weather started to get a bit colder and as soon as we started taking a little bit out of storage, that number rose significantly. It was about 420 million cubic meters a day in November, and it actually peaked at about 490 on several days at the end of November. To put that into a context, the November figure for pipeline imports was about 550. So still pipeline accounting for more than an LNG send out, but LNG send out is ramping up. For our baseline scenario, looking ahead to the rest of winter, we think we're assuming something similar to last winter. So somewhere between 410 and 460 million cubic meters per day in each of the the forthcoming sort of four winter months between December and and March. But again, there's there's potential for that to to flex. And the other issue you you bring out in the in the note is the increase and the continuing increase in LNG receiving capacity. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we've we've added a lot of capacity over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. Looking ahead to, to this winter, we've got three more FSRUs uh, set to come online in Germany and one in Greece. So that will add another 20 BCMA of, of effective import capacity. I think where we may differ from last year is that obviously in the in the real sort of congestion market in Northwest Europe, as we were losing supply from Nord Stream, you saw LNG coming into the UK, being regasified and re-exported to Northwest Continental Europe. That's not really happening to the same extent anymore because you have new capacity for regasification already online at Imshaven and the first three German FSIUs and a new FSIU at Le Havre in northern France. And that's not to mention also Inku up in, in Finland as well, helping ease the market up there. So things have shifted a bit. It doesn't mean that all of this new regasification capacity will be used at its absolute fullest, but it does mean that it's there sort of as as you need it, I guess, and has enough headroom to cope with the month to month flexibility. Okay, I mean, you've made that very good point. Of course, just because just the import capacity is there doesn't mean it's going to get used. And Mike, let me come back to you now and talk about the kind of global LNG market, if I may, and split that into to two different themes, one supply and one kind of Asian and other demands. Let's talk about supply. How's 2023 panned out in terms of new supply? And, and how are things looking over the next three to six months? In terms of new supply, I mean, it's it's been a, a fair bit weaker than we thought at the beginning of the year. That's largely due, due to some fee gusts and technical problems at some plants, but also extended maintenance at you know, a plant like Sacklin, which is off for two months. The supply has been a bit weaker than we sort of anticipated. I mean, with Freeport being back on, 
uh, sort of in the early part of the year and, and Norway, full year out of Norway, that's, that's sort of boosted the supply a little bit. So we are looking at some growth in supply. In terms of the you know, demand outside Europe, China sort of awoke from its slumber sort of about April, May time and has been growing very strongly since then. And Southeast Asia is uh, is buying LNG like it's gone out of fashion. It's 25% year on year. So the, the growth and demand there is quite strong. India, Pakistan, Bangladesh were quite weak until the sort of middle of the year. And they're picking up. So there's been sort of strong growth in those three areas of Asia. However, in Japan, especially with the nukes coming back on and sort of weak economic activity, demand for LNG has, has, has fallen sharply in Japan uh, this year. Uh, Taiwan has sort of been sort of flattish, Korea is down a little bit. So the fact that Japan didn't need as much LNG has kind of prevented the market from tightening sort of even more than we, we thought it might have done. If we look ahead to sort of the winter period, then you know the LNG supply does look quite reasonably strong. That Tango Train 3 sent out a commissioning cargo in Indonesia, and that sort of, uh, sort of start ramping up a little bit. We could see Arctic 2, Train 1. Um, I think Novatech's talking about commissioning right at the end of this month, you know, maybe in the first quarter. So we are getting additional supply coming on. In terms of the demand, again, outside Europe, we expect China, Southeast Asia to grow, to continue growing, at least through to sort of March time. And then also India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. It could mean that Europe actually year on year could struggle to meet sort of last year's levels for the winter. October, November already down slightly. That may not matter too much with, with Jack's supply outlook and also what Nugel will talk about on demand. Europe shouldn't get squeezed too badly this winter, but obviously we may talk about the uncertainties of a cold winter uh, down the line. Indeed, I was going to ask you about the weather. I mean, how much difference would a cold winter in Northeast Asia make, do you think? Well, it, it, uh, if we look back at 2021, when there was a contiguous cold weather in, in the Northern Hemisphere, then a lot of LNG cargoes were pulled away from Europe to go and feed the Asian markets. And that could happen again. I guess on the, on the brighter side is that I think there's something in the press this morning that Japan and Korea have record LNG in storage at the moment so that, that they can withstand to some extent a, a short cold spell. A sustained cold spell actually would see cargo sort of being pulled away from Europe. And that obviously is a danger uh, for the European market. Okay, great. Well, thanks for that. Anouk, let me come to you now and let, let's talk a bit more about European demand, which which Mike alluded to. You've been writing about it a lot this year. Your latest piece was out in November, looking at the first nine months of the year. I mean, 2022, we were down 13% as far as demand was concerned. What's the overall trend for 2023? Yes, demand is still well below the pre-crisis level this year. We've been down by about 8% in the first 11 months of 2023. I should say Europe here is EU27 plus the UK. There's even been questions as to whether some demand losses may be permanent, what we've seen in 2022. However, I would reply to that, that the, the devil is in the detail. A closer analysis highlights remarkable differences between the beginning of the year and the end of the year. Indeed, we had over half of the reduction that was in Q1 as the mild weather continued, while reduced gas demand for power generation took over as the main driver for reduced consumption since Q2 in Europe. Okay, well, let's dig into those sectors then. I mean, you talk, you mentioned power. 
obviously in 2022, we had all the issues of nuclear in France, low water levels, high gas prices. What's the situation been in 23 as we head into winter? We had better availability of both renewables, including hydro and also nuclear. And therefore, gas use for electricity generation this year is down by about 19%, again, on the first 11 months of the year. And the same drivers are remain valid for the rest of the winter. First, the return of the French nuclear production, which is in line with EDF's target, therefore eroding the concerns of a repeat of last winter's low nuclear availability in France. Second, hydro stocks are up compared to last year in Europe, in most of European countries, and that will allow us more flexibility to raise hydropower generation this winter. Third, the continued deployment of renewables around Europe means we will also have increased availability of wind, especially. So in conclusions, I would say that the fundamentals suggest an overall lower use of gas and coal this winter in Europe. And therefore, gas demand in this sector is expected to be weaker, but with two main uncertainties. First, during the days with low wind availability, which will undoubtedly means a short-term spike in terms of gas use in Europe. And second, the level of total electricity demand, which is increasing and has been higher year on year in both October and November 2023 for the first time in 16 months. And of course, higher electricity demand may increase the need for gas and coal in the generation mix this winter, but I don't expect it to be a major factors, but one should keep an eye on it. Okay. I mean, the other interesting thing that everyone's been following is industrial demand. And I guess the big question has been, you know, have we seen demand destruction and in industries moving away? Or was it a, was the 2022, early 23, a, a blip that we're going to, that Europe's going to recover from? What have you, what have you been seeing so far this year in industrial demand? And what do you think happens in the next six months or so? Industrial sector is an interesting one. The industrial sector gas demand is down year on year by about 5%, again, the first 11 months in 2023, but it has been trending higher since Q3. The whole third quarter was 1% above 2022 levels, and initial data for the period covering October and November this year show an increase of about 12%. So it seems to have been primarily driven by the petroleum sector, but other sectors have also started to recover, especially the chemicals, but also food and more recently, metal. So this apparent recovery might suggest that at least some of the losses that we've seen in 2022 may not be structural. And well, the extent to which this recovery continues through the winter months will help uh, confirm or contradict this assumption. But I should add one thing, considering the worsening of the economic situation in Europe, I think the demand for end products may place a cap for further gas demand in the industrial sector, at least for the rest of the winter, and I think probably until um, spring next year. Okay, very interesting. I mean, the other sector, and indeed you highlight this in the, in the comment, is residential and commercial, and we kind of always touch on with the weather impacts. But... Uh, from what I read, it seems that the trend in res residential and commercial is a little different. I mean, actually, demand's up. So what's what's to say about that? Demand is up, actually, you're right, by about 3%, despite um, much lower heating demand in Q1. 
This increase this year has been driven essentially by recovery in the business sector in Q2 and Q3, and also by short periods of cold weather from mid-October the last few weeks. For this sector is that space heating remains the large variable for for winter demand uh, this winter, even assuming that consumers' restraints on energy use continues to some degree. Now, there's two things. First, it's very likely that consumers will be less influenced by energy conservation campaigns that were widespread last year, and also by price signals, because we're in a context of much lower gas prices. Although retail prices do not necessarily directly reflect the large fluctuation that we see at the hubs, and definitely affordability remains a challenge. The second thing is that if we have colder temperature this winter, it could further erode the consumer's ability to maintain their energy-saving efforts that we saw last year. So all in all, a major uncertainty for what is going to come in the next few months. Okay, so put it all together for us. I mean, when you when you look at the, the overall outlook for European demand, taking all those trends in the different sectors together, what do you see for the next six months or so? So I estimated about, well, just for the winter, for the, for the winter that in the paper we look as from December to March, I estimate an increase of about 5 BCM, and that's taking into account the icy temperatures that we've seen at the beginning of December. Having said that, if we do get a much colder weather than we've seen last year, especially in January, February, March next year, then it could very likely turn into an increase of 20 BCM. So we really should need to, to pay attention of what's going on in terms of temperature. Looking at a calendar year, if you want, I think gas demand this year is probably going to be down by about 8%, driven mostly by the power sector. And in 2024, things are more interesting. There's lots of moving pieces to a complicated puzzle, but continued lower use of gas in the power generation is probably going to counterbalance higher gas uh, that will be used in the other sectors. Therefore, I think next year we're potentially looking towards a marginal upward trends in terms of gas demand in Europe, but not by much, at least for what we're seeing at the moment. Okay, great. That's very interesting. And you say lots of moving parts to, to follow, which is uh, fascinating. Jack, let me come back to you. Our perennial topic has obviously been storage and, and things have really been all about whether it's just going to be full. Um, and we got some record levels at the start of winter. What's been happening with drawdown? Where are we at the, the kind of here we are at the beginning of December? What's the outlook now for the rest of the winter? Well, you're absolutely right that we, we hit record levels. We reached an absolute record of about 106 BCM at the start of November, which is really that the tanks would have been creaking, let's say, if, if, if you put it like that. Um, we still had 101 BCM in storage on the 1st of December. I would say that uh, in terms of the, the switchover from injections to withdrawals, we stopped injecting on about the 6th of November and withdrawals really started in earnest about the 20th of November. In that time period, then the last 10 days of the month, the rate of withdrawal accelerated. So you start off sort of 100, 200 million cubic meters per day, and it peaked around the 29th, 30th of November at about 620 million cubic meters per day. So on those days, withdrawals from storage were contributing more to European supply than either LNG send out or pipeline imports. 
Um, and just to add the final piece of the puzzle, by the way, European production is about 180 million cubic meters per day. So clearly storage is already playing a very big part of, uh, of our total supply. And as you point out in the note, I mean, that, that's a fairly regular trend, isn't it? On, on peak days of peak demand, storage plays a very active role and send out really is a very, very significant part of overall supply. Absolutely so. Um, and especially, I think, given the relative lack of flexibility now that we have around production and around pipeline imports, given that, you know, as I, as I mentioned before, the Norwegians are, are operating pretty much at the full capacity of their infrastructure. The same for the Azeris. The Algerians don't seem to have much more to give beyond what they are, even though there is spare capacity on the pipelines. And Gazprom is only offering what's available within the bounds of long-term contracts. They're not adding anything more to the spot market, even though there is some spare capacity on their delivery routes. So, of course, if you have any short-term surge in demand that lasts a couple of days, maybe a bit of a cold spell, then, of course, your first recourse is to storage. Or depending on your location, obviously, taking a, you know, a bit more out of your LNG storage tanks and, uh, and regasifying it and sending it out into the grid. So I think through the winter, storage is going to be you know, front line for managing demand on a, on a day-to-day basis. And if you have any sort of sustained period of cold weather that lasts sort of several weeks, then you'll see that start to play out in terms of attracting more LNG cargoes to the market as well. Okay, so let's come to, you know, put the whole picture together and come to the scenarios that you painted. What's your base case scenario? Where, where are we at the end of winter when you put together the pieces that we've already talked about? So the the single figure that sums it all up is assuming that storage is the balancing item. We have our assumptions for production, for pipeline imports, for LNG imports and and send out. uh, And we have our assumptions for demand, as we've as as we've discussed. If you take it all together, we're we're taking we're going to take about 50 BCM out of storage uh, this winter, which is potentially about 10 BCM more than last winter. Now, that's on the basis of everything that I've said about, you know, we've been a little bit, you know, there's a little bit of upside possibility to to the pipeline imports from Norway and from Russia relative to our scenario. On the LNG side, we've assumed the same as last year. So if we get it just a little bit higher, that could, you know, add a couple of BCM of supply over the winter months. And as Anuka said, you know, our uh, baseline scenario on the demand side is that winter is a little bit colder than last year and that uh, household consumers aren't quite as disciplined as they were last year. And that's really on the basis of last winter being incredibly mild. So the chances of it being milder still are somewhat limited. And equally, people might not feel like the, the need to save energy is quite so urgent. So I think that's that's where you get to if you put it all together. I think the, the key sort of takeaway here is that relative to that baseline scenario, we think that most of the sort of the direction of travel, if you get away from that baseline, is in the direction of a tighter market, that there isn't a lot of upside potential from production and pipeline imports, and more LNG will only be attracted if you're willing to pay for it. And that would uh, sort of seem to imply higher prices. And equally, as, as Anouk has said, you know, the chance of it being a much milder winter than last year is, is rather limited. Yes, there is some sort of green shoots of recovery in industrial demand, and then we have to really wait and see what happens in the power sector. But if electricity demand continues to grow, that would also seem to imply more gas for for power demand as well. Um, so there's there's not a lot on the side of the ledger that could loosen the market unless it were exceptionally mild around the northern hemisphere. 
that Europe consumed less and some LNG started flowing to Europe that would otherwise have gone to a, a colder Northeast Asia. But yeah, that's that's how we would put the, the direction of travel, perhaps, relative to our scenario. Great. Mike, let me give the last word to you. Given what Jack just said about where we are with the baseline and, and the kind of the tendency towards, towards tightness rather than looseness, if, if one looks at the risks, how do you see the price outlook from here? Yeah, we start with uh, Jack's magic 50 BCM in storage sort of by the end of March. I think that's the sort of target figure to look at. So, and, and as he said, we're just about okay on that sort of scenario, slightly colder winter than last year. So, yeah, prices, so the forward curve is looking at about, in TTF terms, sort of about $12, $13 roughly, I think, for the, uh, the 24 calendar year, which is you know, similar to sort of current prices. So, on the on that sort of still benign scenario, that doesn't look unreasonable. I think the the real risks come is if there's yeah you could you can have a cold winter in Europe alone. And as a nuke said, that could add fifteen twenty BCM to demand depending on how cold that is, which would basically get taken out of storage because there isn't much more LNG available to come to Europe. But if it's a contiguous cold northern hemisphere winter. And you're going to have higher demand in, in you know, northern China, Japan, Korea, around that area. And that could pull even more LNG away. So, which effectively means that rather than 50 BCM in storage, a sort of scenario where it's cold across the northern hemisphere, you could have another 25, 30 BCM taken out of storage. In that sort of scenario, next summer look, we could look pretty nasty. There is going to be an increased LNG supply, but you know, continued growth in Asian demand, China growing a little bit, Southeast Asia roaring ahead, maybe Japan coming back a little bit, that would soak up most of that supply. There's always, always the risk of the impact of El Nino if it does cause a sort of drought in, in the in South America would uh, would boost LNG imports there. So 50 BCM in story in the March, yes, we're probably okay for the summer. But if we've taken another 25, 30 BCM out of storage, it's very difficult to see how Europe can possibly fill its storage without bidding prices up significantly in that sort of scenario. So it's on a knife edge. As we've been saying that for the last 12 to 18 months, I think it's on a knife edge and it's still on this knife edge. But it's it's looking sort of OK, absent, as we say, always say, very cold weather. OK, well, on that note, I guess the, 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 the message is relatively calm, but don't get complacent, I guess, is the overall conclusion we're reaching here which has been great but thank you very much indeed thanks mike thanks anuk thanks jack for those insights as i said your paper on the winter outlook for gas markets is now available on the ois website so do go and look out for that i think this is probably the last gas program podcast before christmas so let me just wish everyone festive goodwill we'll see you again in the new year but until then please do take care of yourselves and goodbye Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Oxford Institute for Energy Studies. You can find other podcasts, as well as our written research, on our website at www.oxfordenergy.org. If you would like more details about our energy transition, gas, oil, electricity or China research programmes, then please contact us at information at oxfordenergy.org. Thank you.